This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's Model Podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Laffin, and Thomas Henderson on the day after the Super Bowl. And wow, what a game that was, huh, guys? Am I right? <laughs> yeah, the one team scored more points than the other team, and, and it was really an uh, entertaining time. Can you believe that play? I can't believe that. Uh-huh. And the problem with Arsenal is they always try to walk it in. <laughs> Shit, wrong football. Sport, sport. Well, you know what else I can't believe? The fact that two years ago, April 1st, 2019, we recorded our very first episode, and here we are now, 100 episodes later. Wow. Yeah. In the time since, we, we've multiplied. Hey, Thomas, how you doing? Oh. Hello. Uh, uh, that, that's just a little bit of a strange. That's a strange origin story for Thomas here. <laughs> I, I multiply. <laughs> he just appeared through osmosis. No, no, uh, meiosis. Parthenogenesis. Mm. So yeah, we've we've gained some friends along the way. Some some friends have become enemies. Enemies become friends. <laughs> we've experienced a, a global catastrophe. We've. Come pretty close. Several global catastrophes at this point. Yeah, that is very true. Several global catastrophes. Societies come close to complete breakdown, and that's just been the last couple of months. But um, you know, we we've recorded every week and had fun usually doing so. And uh, so for promote extend trade this week, let's focus on the show itself. What do we want to promote, extend, or trade about from Complex to Queens? And we could all have individual answers. Trade the wrestling, uh, promote, extend, (laughs) trade questions. Hard agree. Oh, come on. Do I ever, I, every once in a blue moon, do I pick wrestling? Yeah, and that's, that's once in a blue moon too often. (sighs) Trade, trade. (laughs) Hard disagree there. Oh, no. Mm. Well, that's it, folks. This is how the podcast ends. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right, so you're trading the wrestling references, and so is Ken. Yes. Um, Thomas, what are you trading? Oh, God. 
I want to trade every episode before I was invited on. Um, <laughs> All right, solid strategy. Because I, I'm i biased, but I, I feel like I give a cheery disposition and sometimes good puns to the podcast. Funny, it's literally the opposite of you and Slack. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm just I'm just sad there about Albert Almora Jr. So here I get to be fun because I get to hug some prospects. Mm. Well, I think that I want to trade the fact that we don't have any listeners because Ooh, with the amount good. yeah with the amount of research and prep that that we do on a weekly basis, uh, on a seasonal basis, you know. All the stuff we we read and write and everything like that we should be we should be topping the iTunes charts week in and week out week out and you know we've proved to the world that we're the best on this microphone in that ring even at commentary nothing can touch <laughs> us Lord he's making it wrestling again <laughs> that that was that was pretty topically uh, timely also uh-huh. Uh-huh. so yeah that's what I would trade. Now, uh, what are we going to promote? What is it that you guys, you know, you're, you're generally positive about the podcast? Uh, I'm going to promote the, the new Will Pondery segment, honestly. I think that's one of the better <laughs> innovations that, that has been added over the years. Uh, good way to riff. And, and, in a, and in a way that isn't incredibly self-destructive, remember the Will Ponds for the shit heels they were. <laughs> They may be out of our lives, but they're not forgotten. That's true. Never forget. Do not want the past to repeat itself. See, I, I believe, um, you know, forget, but don't forgive. That, uh-huh. That's that's how uh, I do things. Podcasters <laughs> never forget and they never forgive? Never, never forgive. <laughs> that's the way to live life. I want to okay. promote this segment, actually, if I could jump in. Mm. Because... This is always, to me, waiting to see what you come up with for this. Because to peek behind the curtain, we don't know what the promote extend trade is before we record. He's a bit of a tyrant. <laughs> we just we just log in, and he's like, in 1903! And I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> oh here we go again! And I'm just like, I don't know where this is going. And it's it's always funny to see where we end up from where we begin and then we go into talking about our prospects but like it's always funny to me to see how the podcast starts and it always starts off strong i think i do try sometimes to kind of pick things out of left field but topical at the same time yes yeah i'd agree with that i i, I love promoting set trade <laughs> it's a bit you, of like random energy <laughs> you did with. uh you did create random. You did create promote yes, extend I, I trade did, after I all. Pitch, promote, I did pitch promote mm-hmm. extend trade. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to promote just uh, all the stuff that we have to do to prep for the show. I guess I'm kind of a masochist, but I find all the research and that kind of stuff fun because it's it's fun finding all these stupid little weird obscure little tidbits on players and and stuff like that. So that's my uh promote. Now what are we going to extend? What is the most favorite part of recording from Complex to Queens? Francisco Lindor. <laughs> For 10 years and 300 million. Mm. It's probably going to be closer to 330. That's fine. 
It's not my money. True. <laughs> I, 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 worth the money. Yes, extend Francisco Lindor. Uh, I, I'm going to get cheesy for a moment here and say we need to extend uh, Steve here since he's the yes, fearless he leader. leader. Yeah, no, no, God damn it, Ken. The fearless leader who does uh, most of our prep, or most if not all of our prep work. Pretty much all, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we write up some random lists, but Steve is the one who uh, writes... How many words did you write on other prospects of notes this year? Like, you were trying to push it to 30,000, I think he said. Yes, 30,000. Steve's, like, in Slack saying, hey, do you guys have any more names for me? I'm at, like, 27,000 words right now. I want to get it over 30K. It's like, Steve, you could stop, you know. I, I did get it over 30K, so. Nice. He, he he did a promote expend trade in the beginning of it, so. Uh-huh. <laughs> Listen. During the season, when you need to know what kind of player Adam Aller is, I got you. Exactly. All right. You're telling me I, I I shouldn't just be happy to know who Carlos Cortez is? Ken is going to fight you because he loves Carlos Cortez. Oh, Friend boy. of the podcast, Carlos Cortez. Carlos Cortez. <laughs> Currently hitting like 400 <laughs> in Australia, I think. I wonder what the hitting environment is doing. I mean, I guess it's summer. Is it humid? <laughs> It's pretty flat, so there's no elevation. I, I assume it's just like dry. <laughs> yeah. Well, desert ball. Depends on where you, in Australia you are. Not all of it's a desert. Well, he's playing for Sydney. Okay, so yeah. So desert. what what is Sydney like? Uh, let's see, Sydney. Sydney humidity and culture. <laughs> humidity seventy four percent. So no, it's pretty fucking miserable. It's like Florida. Uh, I'm the, dodge, see- the, the 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 tarantulas falling from the sky. Black Widows, occasionally a great white somehow flies into the stadium, like there's a Sharknado every once in a while. That's where that's, that's, that inspired the movie. The thing about Australia, though, since it's literally on the other side of the world and, and upside down, is that if you're good, then you're actually bad, and if you're bad, you're good, which is why yep. he's doing how yep. he is. So You always have to make sure you have your ground harness on, otherwise you just fall off. <laughs> right. Yeah. Edge of the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, uh... Thomas, uh, what are you extending? I'm going to steal the the extending you, Steve, because we would not be doing this without you. Uh, we very much um, follow your lead here, and without you leading it, we would be a bunch of guys not figuring out when to record on Sunday. So, <laughs> yeah, basically, that's it. It'd be like what a three-hour stretch every Sunday of, okay, I'm ready. Yeah. All right, I'm ready. <laughs> and, and then, but then someone else isn't ready. And, and then, then six me hours being like, later. sorry, guys, I need like three hours. Yeah, and then six <laughs> hours later, nothing gets recorded. And we're like, oh, no, we didn't do promote extend trade. Uh-huh. And Steve's uh-huh. just somewhere furious. Uh-huh. Ken, what are you extending? I, I already extended you, our fearless leader. So. Oh. And at this rate, we're going to give Steve the 10-year, $300 million contract. Like... <laughs> You know what? I think you should do that. Uh, Let's then Steve we don't Cohen's have money, money left guys. for the door. <laughs> well, I can't extend myself. But I will say that <laughs> but I, I I want to say that I want to extend just just this thing that we do. Finding people that like baseball, pretty easy. Finding people that are passionate about baseball, still pretty easy. Finding people that are are so obsessed that they understand 
physics and science and finances and follow that prep players and college players and track the journey of people from the beginning until they retire, that's hard to find. And I'm very happy and proud that at Amazing Avenue on this podcast, on uh, just just the greater internet community exists and that we get to talk about this stuff that brings me joy every week. That was, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely yep. that segment sentiment. Otherwise, I'd just be yep. tell, like texting my dad and trying to re-explain to him who who freaking Ronnie Mauricio is, let alone <laughs> getting down to, I don't know, anyone past the top five. <laughs> because of you guys, I'm not just randomly pulling people over on the street and shouting <laughs> about Francisco Alvarez. So, <laughs> Well, no, you should. <laughs> I mean, everyone should. Just By the way, happens. Carlos Cortez currently hitting 392, 429, 706. Oh. <laughs> In the Australian baseball league. Pretty, pretty, pretty. Oh, did we, what's like the league average stat line? I feel like we need some context on that. I have no idea. How do we? <laughs> league average hitter is hitting 400. Ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, imagine what he would be hitting if Manny Ramirez was there with him. I screw that. Imagine what Manny would be hitting if he was there. <laughs> <laughs> Manny might be hitting 700. Manny will always be Manny. Indeed. All right. Well, another week, another trade, and thankfully this one doesn't really affect the rotting, shambling corpse of what's left of our top 25 <laughs> list. But uh, last Monday, the Mets traded infielder Federico Polanco to the Marlins, and they received right-handed pitcher Jordan Yamamoto in exchange. And Yamamoto, he was drafted by the Brewers at a St. Louis high school in Honolulu in the 12th round of the 2014 draft. And supposedly they liked him a lot and they were interested in signing him as high as the fifth round. But the two sides couldn't agree on the money, so he fell. And the Brewers ended up picking him anyway in the 12th round and they were able to get the money together. Um, he cost $330,000 and he went pro. And in his first couple of years, things didn't really go too well, but stats don't really matter too much that early on. And by 2016, two years later, when he was pitching for the low-A Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, he started looking like a much better pitcher. And then his stock rose in 2017 even more when he was pitching at the high-A Carolina Mudcats. And as a result, that winter, he was traded to the Marlins along with Lewis Brinson and Isan Diaz and Monty Harrison in exchange for Christian Yelich. And he dealt with injuries in his first year with the Miami Marlins, but he was solid enough when he was able to pitch. And then in June 2019, they called him up to the big leagues um, when when injuries opened up a spot in their rotation. And he won his first couple decisions. He actually set a Marlins record with 14 scoreless innings to start his career. So I think that says more about the Marlins than it does about anything else. But after those first couple of starts, things unraveled pretty quickly. Um, in four starts that July, he had a 6.16 ERA. And then in five starts that August, he has a 6.84 ERA. And then he missed most of September with a right forearm strain. So not good. 
He did look a little better when he got back at the end of September. He pitched 10 and a third innings against the Nats and the Mets. But you know how, I mean, we all know how uh, the Mets offense can look at the end of September. So shoving against the Mets isn't necessarily impressive. But um, he didn't make the Marlins out of uh, quote-unquote spring training or summer camp or whatever it was last season. But he was called up about two weeks into the year. Um, the Marlins had a COVID outbreak, so they needed some bodies, and he was one of those bodies. And over the course of three starts, he allowed uh, 11 earned runs in eight and two-thirds innings, which is not great, but, you know, not super terrible. Sounds and then, bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not good by any means. Um, but it is definitely better than what would happen. A uh, couple of weeks later, Don Mattingly used him out of the bullpen. And things, I don't know if even saying things went disastrously wrong is even, like, the appropriate word. Like, we need something that encapsulates the feeling of worse than disastrously wrong. Because in a single relief outing against the Braves, he gave up 12 earned runs in two and two-thirds innings. So, not good. I remember that game uh, for fantasy baseball purposes. I didn't realize that was him, though. <laughs> Oof. But, yeah, that was him. And uh, he did not appear in another game in 2020, understandably. Yeah. And uh, then he got DFA'd. And now he's a Met. Great he's job, pretty... Don Mattingly. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. Yeah, that's right. He has a pretty deep arsenal. He has a slider, curveball, cutter, changeup, uh, in addition to his fastball. Now, about that fastball, according to Baseball Savant, that fastball was in the 13th percentile in 2019, and then the 7th percentile in 2020. And that's that's uh, not good. It averaged 90 miles an hour when it came up in 2019. And then in limited innings in 2020, it dropped about a mile and a half to 88.6. Obviously, there's some small sample size there. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, he did have that forearm strain at the end of 2019. And that is the kind of thing that can sap your velocity. So when you don't have much velocity to begin with and some of it is being compromised, that is not good. The pitch does have above average spin. So that is helpful. That's surprising that it's bad then. Yeah, well, it's just block. not very hard, though. Yeah, it probably yeah. just doesn't. Yeah, I mean, if it's a if it's an eighty-eight point six mile per hour fastball that appears like you just have to be so fine fastball. with it. Yeah, yeah. It he he actually had the highest hit hard rate in all of Major League Baseball between twenty nineteen and twenty twenty. So also double not good, but his slider is really good. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's gross. It's well above average in terms of horizontal break and vertical break, and it gets tons and, and swings and misses. And when you just, you know, the amount of innings that he threw, um, it was one of the best sliders in the league. And then in descending uh, order of use and effectiveness, there's the cutter, curve, occasional changeup. But, you know, the, the slider is definitely the go-to pitch. But unfortunately... He kind of has uh, spotty command, partially because that slider moves a lot, which is good, but then it also has the side effect of walking a lot of guys when they don't go fishing. Mm-hmm. His 
His walk per nine rate is about four in the major leagues. It was pretty decent in the minors, in the lower levels and the upper minors, but it looks a lot like that's really a case of more flawed players being fooled by it as opposed to the majors. I feel like, I feel like those are the biggest swings from the minors to the majors when guys have a really advanced breaking ball early on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely in the lower levels, especially. Yeah, because he's just like, these poor dudes are not prepared to face something like that. But when you're facing, like, Juan Soto, it, yeah. he doesn't care about your slider. You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> it's like how David Peterson struck out, like, 18 per nine in the pack um, uh, at Oregon. <laughs> yeah, because it's last just like, year there. He shouldn't have been there. the slider, yeah. and it, it's like a double-A slider. <laughs> he was well beyond... um what he was trying to do there and those poor college kids who are now like accountants are like, what the hell is this? <laughs> but they'll always have that memory. Oh, for sure. I struck out on David Peterson's slider. I'd be like, nah, I worked him for 30 pitches in the at bat too. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, dude, we have the SEC network. We know you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, wrong conference, but, um, but, uh, so yeah, that is Jordan Yamamoto. And the guy that they gave up for him, Federico Polanco, he was a day one signing in the 2017-2018 IFA period. He got $325,000, part of which was because he's Ronnie Mauricio's cousin, I'm sure. But he also does have some pretty advanced uh, tools, so it wasn't all nepotism or anything like that. He's above average bat speed. He makes odd contact. He's mostly line drive double power right now, but... He's only 6'1", 160 pounds, so he should grow into some more power. And the most interesting thing, I guess, right now about him is that his plate discipline is really, really advanced for his age and level, um, which is a good thing to see from someone that young because that definitely gives them a, a leg up on the competition. It gives them a higher floor than uh, the peers. Uh, unfortunately, the defense is not that polished as the offense He's an infielder. He's he's gotten time at second base, third base, shortstop, but he profiles best at second, most likely because the range is not uh, the best and the arm doesn't stack up. So, but still, an offensive-oriented second baseman is an interesting follow. And you could you could uh, hide the second base defense now, right? And also, he's just so young. You could yeah, like he, he could know, throw him into the outfield and see what happens. He could also get better at playing second base, too. Like Exactly. Also that. Or he could just, again, he's, he's 6'1", 160 pounds. So yeah, let's exactly. say he puts on 15 pounds, 15 pounds all, all in the right arm. All of a sudden, he has a plus arm. All of a sudden, that's a plus arm. That's one of my favorite episodes of Rick and Morty also. Oh, yeah. It's also, I think, the only episode of Rick and Morty that I've seen. So there's that, too. But um, overall, uh, I'm not really a fan of the move. I mean, it's not like a major thing or anything like that, but it just kind of, eh. Um, You know, to me, Yamamoto is not a guy worth going out and spending any kind of resources on, especially... A guy as, I don't want to say as young and interesting as Polanco, because that's not a right way of putting it. But put it like this. Neroldo Catalina was a nobody a couple of years ago. And he still has got a long way to go before he's considered like a bona fide prospect. 
especially in Tampa Bay system, but he is definitely a guy to watch. And Polanco could be a guy to watch as well. And I would say I think I think uh, Yamamoto's better than Wilmer Font. Um, like I know you're not a huge fan of him, but I I, I like him more than you. Uh, I like y- y- Yamamoto a little bit. I think he's kind of interesting, and I think he's young enough. And the Mets have such little depth. Well, not really anymore. They really worked at it, but like <laughs> they were com- they they were coming into the season with such little depth that it makes sense to get someone like this. You know what I mean? I I agree with that, but for $3 million, you can get a Colin McHugh. You can get a a Tyler Anderson, a Brett Anderson, even a Rick Porcello. No, but they're also guys that you can just rinse and and rewash and just kind of cycle through. If the guy's not doing good, then goodbye. If he's doing good, you just ride that, and then next offseason, we do the same thing over again. Sure, yeah. It's not like, you know, it's not like we're giving up, like I said, we're not giving up much, but still. See, I kind of like this move because um, I think they need bulk pitching um, and especially like controllable bulk pitching. Uh, and also, I, he's a guy, I think if he throws his slider more, um, you know, things might go better. So I think there's some upside there. I think I could, I could see him as a kind of Luke Gregersony kind of reliever, just I chucking sliders. Yeah, I could see that, and that wouldn't even be a bad thing. Like they need that too. Like if if that's the outcome here, if they st- if they stick him in the bullpen and he just throws sliders sixty percent of the time and he's just making people whiff all the time, I'm fine see, with that. I think he <laughs> could get by as a starter like that. He's he like um the slider's not just like one pitch, you know? Yeah, he's like got like three versions of it, so. I don't know. I could see things going pretty well. Look, it's no churv, but it's no churv. <laughs> <laughs> That's essentially what they did: is they they conjured another Joey Lachesi. <laughs> yeah, just a, a more <laughs> not unique, probably a better one. <laughs> <laughs> now here's here's two players I want to just compare because I was I don't know why I thought of this guy, but like I was like, oh, hold on a second. I just wanted to go back and look, and I was like, actually, really surprised. So, player A, born 1996, he's pre-arb with options remaining. He has a total of 78.2 major league innings, all of which came in 2019, and had a 96 ERA plus and 0.9 F war, and then he threw netable innings in 2020 and they weren't good. Now, player B, born 1996, pre-arb with options remaining, through 122.1 innings in 2019 with a 89 ERA plus and a 0.9 F war, through negligible innings in 2020 and they weren't good. Player A, Jordan Yamamoto. Player B, Ariel Hurado. <laughs> That's funny. A guy that we literally just non-tendered and released a couple of weeks ago. I think I Yamamoto think is better, better than that. Yeah. Like like if you're if we're going back in in his prospect world like I think Yamamoto had more fans than Gerardo did. Uh, I think that I mean obviously Gerardo is the better fastball. Yes. And and I mean almost everyone has the better. <laughs> well yeah, I mean there is that. So <laughs> I just don't I mean I uh, mean I'm just biased, I don't know, but I just don't see anybody 
surviving with just such a, a subpar fastball in today's MLB. Yeah, I think gonna, he's just yeah. he's just not going to be able to throw it all that much. <laughs> well, he shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, like, he's going to have to throw it like an awesome. He's going to have to like, yeah throw like his curveball, slider, whatever, um, like thirty five percent of the time, and hope he can command it enough to. I think the numbers combi- combined. I mean, I'm, I don't have the page in front of me, but just from looking it up from earlier, it was like. Combining his fastball and like sinker because the sinker was like six percent of the time or something, and a lot of times you know those kind of get mixed in or or categorized with fastballs. He threw the fastball like forty percent of the time, forty five percent of the time, whatever, and then the slider like twenty twenty five. Yeah, with those, he's yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I also think that that could hold him back in terms of like that's actual coaching that the Mets could. Maybe the maybe like Sandy and company saw it in, in and theory, saw how good the yeah. slider was and were like, we know how to, we think we could um, make him not bad because of that. You know what I mean? Like and make him kind of like a back end of the rotation swing guy because just go out there and throw your slider a lot more. You know, there are obviously relievers like we mentioned Gregerson and there's other guys that that flip the switch, the, the script, so to speak, and, and throw the breaking ball more than the fastball. Are there any starters that do that? I can't think of anybody. If we want him to remain a starter... And I don't adopt... know, like Patrick Corbin, maybe? <laughs> mm. But, uh, yeah, Corbin but is... nobody has Corbin's slider. No. I'm trying to think of anyone else. Who would be like a... You, you mean like a primary... Breaking right, ball. like pitcher. I'm a starting pitcher. There's a couple and... guys with like changeup. Change I would say Johan was, <laughs> like that's Jason Vargas comes to mind. Like yeah, lived on the the changeup, but is Jason Vargas really something worth aspiring <laughs> to? <laughs> well, I mean, at had... some point he was kind of okay. Like, he had a uh... but a very long storied career. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you joke, but <laughs> he pitched. No, no, yeah, he pitched forever. Uh, Jason Vargas. I remember who was it? Kyle Wilson, maybe, was was supposed to start a Cyclones game and then he got scrapped so that Jason Vargas could do his rehab with Brooklyn and I was so pissed off I did ended up not going to the game because I did not want to see Jason Vargas. But it was a Stan on Yankees versus Brooklyn Cyclones game. So speaking of oh. Uh, Oh, so they put the <laughs> so, 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 so the so the Wolpon saw the rivalry game and said, "Put Vargy out there." I, I <laughs> that, saw them throw Noah Syndergaard against the Staten Island Yankees. Mm-hmm. I saw them throw Seth Lugo against the Staten Island Yankees. <laughs> Listen, they needed to do their rehab. It just a coincidence, all right? I saw Stop Jose asking Reyes questions. Play against the <laughs> oh, I forgot Staten Ray. Island Yankees. I saw Robinson Cano play against the Staten Island Yankees. Ken, you're heading down very dangerous territory. We're going to have to go, like, Ash not shooting you meme if you don't stop. All I'm saying is there's a trend there. (laughs) All right, well, moving on to, I guess, better things. Uh, Even though it doesn't directly, like, concern us anymore, they were part of our life for years, so it still kind of does affect us. But the Appalachian League, they started their transition to its new format as a summer collegiate um, showcase league, and they started releasing the names and logos of all their rebranded teams. Of the 10 of them, seven have been revealed. So the last three, Bluefield, Danville, and Princeton, 
they'll be revealed next week. So we'll we'll talk about them uh, on our next show. So I don't want to bury the lead here. The Johnson City team will not be the Johnson City Soldiers. Sad. But they are going to be the Johnson City Doughboys. So close enough. Huh. And I'm happy that uh, they went in that direction. The other teams that them, excuse me, the other names that they were considering were the Johnson City Spokes, the Steam, the Locomotives, and the Wagon Wheels. None of those are as good as the Doughboys, obviously. There was one, though, that they were considering that would have also been acceptable. The Johnson City Boom Squirrels. Oh. Now, <laughs> I was I was looking it up. I was typing in Johnson City Boom Squirrel. I was just typing in Boom Squirrel. There was no context whatsoever. <laughs> There's no references. So I don't know what Boom Squirrel is supposed to mean. I don't know what it means to the people of Johnson City. But it's a combination that works very well in the world of minor league baseball. So... What I'm imagining is a squirrel in like a tank with like a little hat with like a with like a World War II helmet on. Oh, nice! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Steve, like, I think we need to send you down there to to investigate. <laughs> I, I I mean I don't know what's going on this year. My sister's getting married in May, so I'm gonna have to obviously take some vacation days for that. But just okay, tell her <laughs> wedding in Johnson City. It's, I heard it's beautiful. That's true. They probably will allow more than 25 percent capacity. <laughs> Uh, you know, Tennessee is gonna, Tennessee is gonna Tennessee. Uh, so, yeah, speaking of Tennessee, Kingsport, the former Kingsport Mets, they're gonna be the Kingsport X-Men, and it's a reference to the Daniel Boone Wilderness Road, which is a trail that Daniel Boone charted from Kingsport to the Cumberland Gap to Kentucky. So, uh, good logo, good name, and they're keeping the blue and orange color scheme, which makes me happy since the Mets and Kingsport were together for uh, 40 years. Um, as for the other teams, the Bristol team, they're going to be the state liners um, because the Tennessee-Virginia state line literally runs down their appropriately named State Street. <laughs> um, the Burlington team, they're going to be the sock puppets because Burlington uh, had a booming textiles industry back in the day and apparently was known as the hosiery capital of the South. Go figure. Um, but logo is is A plus Chef yeah. Kiss. It is amazing. Uh, the Elizabethan the, team. They're going to be the the River Riders, and that's a reference to the Watuga River, which runs through the town. And Pulaski, they are doing the same thing. They're going to be the River Turtles, referencing the New River, which is actually very ironically named because the river is one of the oldest riverbeds on Earth which is uh, a, a little interesting factoid. And last but not least, the Greenville team. They're going to be the Flyboys, which I feel is the least yeah, interesting of all the names here. That's a reference to an old airfield that their stadium was built over. So, yeah. Go, I like that, uh, all, the names are, I like that all, all the names are good, but also there's like reasons for them. Yeah, it's not just like, hmm, it's not like Mad Libs. Yeah, <laughs> not the stud yeah. muffins. Hey, I, I, hey, I voted for, for that one. Binghamton so. <laughs> <laughs> is apparently the rocking horse capital of the world. So, and, and stud muffins, I don't remember what that was supposed to be a reference to. but It was a um, gimmick. <laughs> if the stud muffin logo was a good one. 
Yes. It was. It was good. It was like an angry, like, muffin. Duh. And he had, like, he was buff. Yes, he was. Well, his he's arm a He was a thick lad, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully they, they, I mean, they're going to be sticking around Binghamton. So hopefully they uh, run that uh, special day in 2021. Same thing with Syracuse. They were the salt potatoes, so... Hopefully we see some more Syracuse salt potato days in 2021. They did a good job with the names and logos. Oh yeah, definitely. And and the the Kings 14 does have the Mets uh, colors, mm-hmm. which is nice. They have a. It's darker blue though, right? Like it's kind of like a. Yeah, it's like the, the it's, blue. It's more like Broncos blue almost. Yeah, like, it's like a darker blue and like a more. Reddish orange. Should I say yellow? Uh, <laughs> I might have said yellow, but obviously blue and orange. But it's a nice, it's a nice color scheme, which I like that they kept the Mets stuff. It makes me want to pay attention to them a little more. It's like they they changed the hex value like by one just to avoid yeah, copyright infringement. Really <laughs> I wouldn't want to be sued by uh, Steve Cohen though, so I get it. All right, so it is fitting and well-timed that the meat and potatoes of our episode this week, episode 100, is going to be the end of our 2021 top 25 prospect list. Um, Prospect people, you know, we're weird with our lists and ordinal rankings and everything, but we live for this shit. (laughs) So to recap one last time, 25 was right-handed pitcher Riley Gilliam. 24 was right-handed pitcher Jordani Ventura. 23 was catcher Andy Chavez. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> Andy Rodriguez, who's no longer with us. 22 is outfielder Stanley Consuegro. 21 is outfielder Adrian Hernandez. 20 is right-handed pitcher Sam McMilliams. 19 is right-handed pitcher Dyson Acosta. 18 is outfielder Alexander Ramirez. 17 is right-handed pitcher Robert Dominguez. 16 is right-handed pitcher Harold Gonzalez. 15 is right-handed pitcher Junior Santos. 14 is outfielder Freddy Valdez. 13 is outfielder Isaiah Green, who is no longer with us. Press F in chat. 12 is infielder Shervian Newton. 11 is left-handed pitcher Thomas Zapucky. Right-handed pitcher Franklin Killame comes in at 10. Then right-handed pitcher JT Ginn. Number eight is infielder Jalen Palmer. Seven is right-handed pitcher Joshua Wolf, who again is no longer with us. And number six is third baseman Mark Vientos. So coming in now at number five is one of the newest additions to the Mets minor league system, center fielder Pete Crow Armstrong. And they drafted him out of the Harvard-Westlake School in California. And he had a pretty, I don't want to say storied career. (laughs) Can high school players have storied careers? I don't know. But he had a pretty solid career there. And also, notably, he was part of the U.S. baseball team for um, under-18 players for years and years. And I think that gives him an edge over a lot of people. 
Uh, obviously, he's very talented, and he was selected in the 19th overall. He signed for $3.4 million, which was basically the exact slot value that Major League Baseball signed for 19th overall. And he hasn't played because of COVID-19, obviously, but he should hopefully um, be ready when the season starts. And I would assume that they send him to uh, low A St. Lucie, although I think you could make the case that he could get sent to high A Brooklyn to start his professional career since he does have a, a pretty high floor um, and, and a lot of uh, experience relative to his uh, age and peers and everything. Offensively, he's a, he's a left-handed hitter. Um, um, you know, still, I don't want to say a work in progress, but the, the hit tool is still coming along. Um, he's right now just kind of a line drive hitter, doesn't show too, too much, uh, power. He's six foot one, 180 pounds. So he's going to add some muscle, whether or not that muscle will then add a lot of power is a question that has people split. He might not really grow into much power and then be a below average, uh, threat in the future. Some of them, some evaluators think that he will. And that he'll be, you know, an average to above average uh, contributor in the power department. But either way, he has a solid hit tool that probably will be average to above average going forward. Um, solid discipline and plate awareness. And then there's the defense. Exceptional defense in center field. He um, reads the ball well. He has good roots at a young age, which is a very good thing. Um, he's a plus runner, so even if he doesn't get the best read, he can correct himself and just kind of turn on the afterburners and get to the ball. Um, plenty of range. The arm is above average. You know, just a lot of, lot of good passive skills. And then, of course, I, I think as we've seen from his, uh, his Twitter game over the summer, he is, uh, he's a, he's just a good, he's a good kid. There's a lot to like about him, both as a player and off the field. He may have become my favorite prospect <laughs> over the summer. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he says the right things. He says what you wanna, what you want a young athlete who is going to be a role model to say. Yeah. He doesn't he doesn't use his platform for uh stupidity like some players do. Which is good to see. Sure. Alright, so coming in now at number four is third baseman Brett Beatty. And he was drafted in twenty nineteen, first round out of <clears throat> Lake Travis High School in Texas. And he basically hit the hell out of the ball as a high school senior. Um, part of it, though, is because he was older than his competition. How much that will affect him and what we think of him and other players and, you know, how he develops going forward. You know, we'll talk about that in a little bit. And obviously in years to come, we'll see. But it is something to keep in mind. 
Um, he signed for $3.9 million, which was about $500,000 below slot. And he was pretty good with the GCL Mets. And then he spent majority of the 2019 season with Kingsport, where he kind of looked almost like a, like a three true outcomes hitter. The batting average was eh, but he did draw a lot of walks. He showed pretty solid play discipline, and he really smacked the ball. And then he kind of got a, a token promotion to Brooklyn, so uh, you know, got to experience some of that playoff atmosphere and just kind of playing with the quote-unquote big boys um, in Coney Island with those fans and everything like that. Obviously, you know, didn't play in 2020, um, but he impressed scouts in the uh, Coney Island alternate site and then in the fall instructs. So I think that uh, he probably will start 2021 in Brooklyn, high A Brooklyn. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, at the plate, he is definitely a power threat, uh, easy raw power. The, the bat itself, the, the, the hitting for average, he's going to have to work on that. Part of, um, at least from what I saw anyway when I saw him, part of his struggles, I guess, and I'll use that word lightly, cause I mean, at no point did I really think he struggled. And really, he just struck you know, out a lot, really. That's right. The only part of it is his his swing is a little long, but at the same time, when you are, you know, a there's a, there's a lot, a lot of asterisks and a lot of context into that. Obviously, he's playing for the entire summer, which is the first time that he would have been doing that in his career. Um, part of it is he, you know, is working on things which is part of, you know, being a minor leaguer is, you know, if they tell you to just put the bat on your shoulders and don't swing, then that's what you're going to do. So, you know, you might strike out a bit more. Uh, You know, if they tell you just go for the opposite field, you're going to go do that. So there's a lot of, you know, context into his kind of low average and just kind of the way that he looked with the bats. I do think, though, that he will be a low average hitter, a kind of, you know, true three true outcomes player going forward, but we'll see. Uh, defensively, he's, he's a capable third baseman. Um, you know, he's a strong arm. He's kind of, uh, Wilmer Floresian, kind of flat feet, doesn't really have too much quick twitch muscle, so he's kind of slow to react and reach. But the stuff that he, he can get to, you know, you don't need to worry. So then he's um, the shortstop on a World Series team. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, that works. <laughs> <laughs> Probably would be better at first base just because, but, I mean, for as long as, as he's able to th- play third, you just ride him out there and yeah, you hope for really, the best. Yeah, You can't really uh, kick him off third yet. And honestly, I'm fine with below average defenders at third. It's, you know. If if there's any place where you have it, I guess third would be the this one. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot you can do with, like, angles and stuff, too. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Where, if um, you have... Uh, positioning Francis- is important. And if you, you can cover a lot of it. Like, J.D. Davis next to Francisco Lindor is exactly. probably fine. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. If Beatty comes up and Francisco Lindor is extended in tent Mets and is still playing, mm-hmm. you know, then I don't think we need to worry about too much of the uh, defensive woes that Beatty has shown. Infield Jay Bruce. (laughs) 
Isn't Capers that, made uh, a couple All Star games. Yeah, I mean that's not a bad outcome. For yeah, I mean he he does have a very Jay Bruceian profile. He he reminds me of him for some reason. It's I know it's not an outfielder, but it's a similar swing. Um, the thing that I think he maybe maybe it's not the best com- as good a comp as I originally thought. Um, is he seems to be able to use the opposite field a lot better. Mm. Like Bruce is just a dead pole hitter. Yeah, he just pulls the ball. Yeah. Um, a lot of people noted over his summer in, in Kingsport that he was using the you know opposite field with power. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think the two questions with Beatty is, um, I, I guess with any hitter, but especially with him, is can he hit three two thirty? If he can hit two thirty in the big league someday, um, I think the power and the on base skills will play. I don't know. Yeah, well, we have <laughs> years to find out. Yeah, plenty of time to find out for sure. He he's more interesting than. I think I gave him credit for when they first drafted him. I kind of overlooked him when they, when he first came around. I was like, okay. Like he's like a, like a power only type third baseman who might be a first baseman, but I could actually see him ending up being pretty good. You know what I mean? Like I, I think because of Allen coming around and in the same draft as him, I just kind of pushed Beatty to the side because we're going to talk about Allen in a, in a little bit, but. He's he's real good. <laughs> so like I think he just got overshadowed, and I think a lot of Mets fans are too. Like not just us or me, I should say. I think that's fair. I mean, the the sensation of that draft is definitely the, the way they finagle things and are able to get Allen. So definitely, kind of puts uh, Baby's second fiddle. All right, now number three is catcher Francisco Alvarez and he was considered one of the top rookies in the 2018 to 2019 IFA class and the Mets signed him on day one for 2.7 million dollars which broke the record that they gave Ronnie Mauricio which is 2.1 million dollars and he didn't play professionally that year but he made his debut in 2019 and he was phenomenal in a couple of games at the G- at the GCL uh, level, so they promoted him to Kingsport. And as the youngest player in the league, he was also phenomenal. He hit 282, 377, 433 uh, as a 17 uh, slash 18 year old. So not bad. And um, not really sure where he's going to get sent to next season. I could see a case either or St. Lucie or. Brooklyn. Yeah. I mean, all of the, all of the, um, tools defensively and offensively get good, good grades. So I could see them pushing him, but at the same time, I could see them wanting to hold him back a little bit just to get better because you know how catchers are weird and there's a lot to, uh, a lot to learn and a lot to, you know, get under your belt. So yeah, and he's maybe done, not so. the best to, to guide it to fast track, you yeah. know? Yeah. And he's young still. And, Catchers got double on their plate than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I would, wouldn't really want um, someone that young to have to deal with the pitching staff and also face hit pitching that they've never at a level they've never seen before. That's tough. Yes. So that's that's a lot to ask of him. So yes, like especially like advanced day. I mean, well, where where is it in terms of? Is it basically the same? Um, like organizationally 
as the old advanced day? Not really. That's the thing. Like, I don't, who really knows anymore? I mean, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, um, it, it'll be interesting to see between, you know, next year and then maybe the year after, you know, maybe even three years to give time to, for a lot of things to normalize. But I mean, the, the double A and triple A are obviously going to be, you know, mostly the same. But the, the low A and high A, things are going to be real funky. Yeah, it's going to be. <laughs> It's going to be a, a learning curve for us too, mm-hmm. like watching these guys and figuring out what's what's good and what what we should be looking for. Really, it's mm-hmm. it's not very obvious, at least to me right now. But Alvarez, you know, regardless of where they put him, he has the tools to succeed. The bat is above average. Um, the power the, the the to hit is above average. The power is kind of coming along. Um, but some refinements in the future should help in that regard. Uh, he has a good eye. He's good at recognizing spin. You know, obviously he's a catcher, so I would hope he is. Um, <laughs> he has a, he has a good sense of the strike zone. Again, that's, that, those are things you want to see catcher displaying. <laughs> um, defensively, he doesn't really look it. I mean, he's kind of short and stocky. He's 5'11", 220 pounds, so he's a little, uh, He's not 5'11". Well, <laughs> yeah. he's listed 5'11", 220. Uh, he's kind of chunky guy, but he's he moves very well behind the, the dish. Um, he blocks well. He frames pitches well. His pop times are above average. His arm is above average. He's accurate. He handles pitching staff well. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he was in the dugout, you know, cheering everybody on and, and chirping at, at opposite pitchers, you know, and the umpires. So just everything that he does, everything that you want to see, he does, which is good to see. Um, he's definitely gotten a lot of helium this, this yes, season. Yeah. Um, I would say that since he is kind of young and the risk factor is pretty high, maybe we should, pump the brakes a little bit. Um, nah, man. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> pedal to the metal. <laughs> You're talking to the wrong two people to yes. <laughs> for pumping the brakes. Well, you, two people, and, and there's some other guy out there, I'm not going to name names, but, yes. you know, he has, he has offers, you know, he thinks he's a better player than certain Seattle outfielders. That was surprising. Uh, yeah. Ranking. I, don't, I wouldn't be that true. aggressive. <laughs> But <laughs> as much as I want it to be true, that's not yeah, true. That's, that's, that's not true. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Based on available information. <laughs> it's he he's one of those dudes who I wouldn't be surprised if he would top the system soon and just like be one of the bigger prospects in baseball I mean, if it all continues. Yeah. He's he's my bet for like who out of the Mets system could be a top five guy like in baseball. Yes. Further along. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how you could say after 2020, you know, that he's suddenly that, having never seen him play against, you know, more advanced pitching than the Appy League. Well, like, I mean, I, I I wish I got paid like that to make such... You know, that'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, like you guys said, uh, Alvarez definitely has the potential to become that kind of player. But uh, in order to do so, he'll have to leapfrog these next two guys who also have that kind of potential. 
And coming in at number two on our prospect list is right-handed pitcher Matthew Allen. And he was drafted in the third round of the 2019 draft out of Seminole High School in Florida. And, I mean, I think we all know the story at this point. But he's a guy that fell first-round talent, fell to the Mets in the third round that they able to save every single nickel and dime and um, were able to put together the $2.5 million signing, bo- the signing bonus that he wanted. And he was pretty good in the JCL. And then um, when the JCL season ended in 2019 because of Hurricane Dorian, they sent him to Brooklyn for a couple of starts. Oh, God, I forgot the hurricane ended. The- <laughs> yeah, I mean, that seems like a million years ago. I totally forgot about that one. But uh, he looked, you know, pretty good against the um, New York uh, Penn League competition. Uh, oh, yeah. His his regular season start was kind of eh, and that's the only one that he gets credited for in, in the in the stats. But his uh, appearances in the playoffs were phenomenal. Um, he threw five perfect innings in two relief outings. And one of which included the the winner take all championship championship game, and that was a that game. There's a lot of tension in that game. So you know this 18 year old kid playing against guys from college, he was able to uh, not wilt under it. I mean he was he was telling the rubber against Jason Groom, which is you know yeah that's I mean this is not the same Jason Groom of 2016 or 2017, whichever. Whichever year it was, but still, it, it was he he impressed me a ton. Like that's the type of poise you want to see out of a starting pitcher who one you would project to be in the top three of your rotation. I'm assuming that's like the ceiling. You know what I mean? Like his ceiling is a top t- a top of the rotation guy. Mm-hmm. So like to be a, a high school kid and get drafted and then you're in the Penn League playoffs and you're like dealing. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah, like, it's basically pitching against guys he would have had to dominate at Florida if he had made it there. Yeah, know? exactly. Mm-hmm. As an 18-year-old, it's just it, it it was very impressive for the the level of mental like capabilities of that. Like, cause that's hard. That's mm-hmm. that's a lot of pressure, and that's a lot of my, this team just drafted me, and now they're throwing me into the spot. But screw it, like that's impressive to me. Oh, he's another guy I saw pitch at Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> Staten Island. <laughs> I mean, um, in that in that game three in the championship series against Lowell, they put him in in, in in what was it like the third inning to the sixth inning or the fifth to the seventh, something like that. Whatever it was, a couple of innings. I think the Cyclones are down at that point two to one. So and and um, the pitcher for Lowell that came in was basically in the middle of like an extremely un- unheard of dominant uh, streak where he struck out like 16 guys in a row dating back to his like prior two appearances or whatever. So to be able to like, yeah, like you were saying, Thomas, to keep that poise, to know that your team is down in the championship game and they need you to put up zeros. And he did. And it's, you were in high school, like, Right. <laughs> <laughs> you graduated last month. Congratulations. <laughs> um, but yeah, so 
obviously the stuff is good. He's six foot three, two twenty five, so that's uh good, good um pitching frame. The fastball, like we were saying a week ago or two weeks ago, whatever, is one of the best, if not the best, overall fastballs in the system. It sits like ninety four, ninety five, tops out at ninety seven, um, has some uh arm side life. He can command it well. Um, you know, he throws it in the strike zone, out, outside the strike zone, wherever he wants it, it goes. He complements it right now with a curveball and a changeup. That curveball is easily a plus pitch, maybe borderline plus plus. It's the it best real pitch good. in the Mets system. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by, by a pretty big margin. Mm-hmm. Like, like, yeah. Uh, it's like that or Gin Slider. I think it's better than Ginslider. It's now. significantly better than Ginslider. Yeah. <laughs> Not to say Ginslider is bad. Like I don't no, know. it's just a hellacious pitch that he can also throw for strikes. Like mm-hmm. he could throw it in the strike zone for strikes. He could very extraordinarily feel for spin. Like, mm-hmm. And then to top it all off, his changeup, which usually is very formative for most pitchers of his age, it's actually pretty decent it's probably an average pitch right now and you know it it can only get better so i mean a guy with two above average well above average pitches right now and then uh, a fringe average average pitch with the potential to be better in the future i mean that's ooh, (laughs) that's italian emoji (laughs) it's just it's stuff to dream on in terms of the rotation and having a guy like that around Mm -hmm. for a long time. The thing that impressed me most in both starts that I saw from him is just how, like, deliberate he is in going through his motion. It's, like, exactly the same step-by-step each time, and, like, that's hard to find. (laughs) It's also an easy motion. It's also Mm -hmm. easy. um, He's he's got the build where you think it's not that much stress on his arm, you know, knock on wood. Yeah. But <laughs> you were here, folks. Blame Ken. Yes. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, um, he's only number two on our list, which means that we have someone better, quote unquote better, I guess. Um, and that player is shortstop Ronnie Mauricio. And he was considered one of the top rookies available in the 2017 to 2018 international signing period. And the Mets signed him for 2.1 million, which was a, uh, record at the time. Um, it has since been broken, like I said before, by Francisco Alvarez. Um, uh, Mauricio made his professional debut with that year, 2018. He played with GCL and he, he did pretty well. And then he got a quick, uh, cup of coffee with Kingsport at the end of that year. And then the Mets were pretty aggressive and they sent him to Columbia for the entire 2019 season. And he was one of the youngest players in the league. I think he was the second, well, the, I think he was the third youngest player and the second youngest hitter. But don't quote me on that. But whatever the case was, it was something like that. And he held his own. Um, he hit 268, 307, 357 in 116 games. That's impressive for yeah. that age. And he definitely got tired as the year went on because in the first half, he hit 290, 333, 394. And in the second half, he hit 244, 280, 320. So, I mean, for a considerable portion of the year, he was almost hitting 300 as... 
you know, an 18-year-old playing against guys that are like three, four years older than him. So definitely what you want to see. Um, next season, I guess they send him to high A Brooklyn, but I could see them possibly sending him. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Again, we just don't just, – just the way that the minor leagues are going to be formulated and configured differently. Completely different. So – I mean, if things were normal, he would be going, you know, if, if nothing had changed, he would be going to high A St. Lucie next year. If he could be going now to high A Brooklyn, I don't know. That's the uh, other thing is he could have gone to um, high A St. Lucie if there was a season in 2020. Do you right. just send him to the next logical step, assuming he would have spent the year there, you know? Well, I guess I mean, we'll see in a couple of weeks, hopefully. Sure. But... um the tools are very good. There's a lot of potential. Um, some of that potential, like, you know, like we were saying, he almost hit 300 for a big chunk of the 2019 season. So you could say, okay, well, the hit tool is coming along. Um, power, you know, that that has not progressed. That is still more projection than reality, but there's a lot to project on. He's... Uh, listed as 6'3", 165 pounds, so there's a lot to fill in there. The hit tool, the, the bat speed is above average, so the hit tool is projected to be average to above average. The power, if he fills in, same thing, projected to be average or better. Um, he's a switch hitter, so if everything develops, you know, <laughs> like we would like it to, he has the potential to be a shortstop who hits for a high batting average and can hit for power from both sides. So let's uh let's hope so. Defensively, um he definitely I, I think that there's no reason to think he won't be able to stay at shortstop for a long, I, long time. I could think of one reason. Mm. <laughs> Francisco Lindor. <laughs> well, that is very true. There's Which, no reason and, to think that he won't <laughs> stay at shortstop through his own uh, <laughs> yeah. fault. <laughs> no, no, yeah, like, just move him to third base and have that left side of the infield. Uh, the, 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 the arm is strong. He shows good reactions, good instincts, um, uh, soft hands, good range, good instincts. Everything is good. If he puts on that muscle that he might, in theory, he would possibly have to move off shortstop but i mean he he's still very athletic so if he retains that athleticism then he should be able to stick it short even if he does put on some bulk and, and get stronger but yeah hopefully we have a problem of hey he's blocked by francisco lindor so oh well <laughs> that would be a nice problem to have and like i don't think there'd be any reason that he couldn't handle second or third, whatever the case may be at that time. We're talking in a few years now. Because, like, I think everyone here expects Lindor to sign. It would be kind of shocking if he didn't. So I'm glad they didn't trade him. Um, I don't think he's necessarily off the table because of Lindor. Like, if you could trade him for Eugenio Suarez and Sonny Gray, then you should do that. But obviously you should trade him for only something like that. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. you could simply just move him and make him play third base and then he'll be a plus third baseman, you know, like, and 
you're just improving your infield defense all over the place. So let him play short until he's in AAA and you're like, oh no, <laughs> we have to move him now. But I don't, I, I, I wouldn't see a reason why he would move to second or third and be bad because he could play short, you know? So it's not like he's a bad defender. So. Yeah, no, I mean, all of the skills that you need to play third base exactly. he has, and short second base is just like baby shortstop, so. And just think of the, think of that defense, either up the middle or on the left side. Yeah, uh. It'd be so fun. Nets having above average defense in the infield, that's. Nice I didn't, dream. I didn't even know it was allowed in the CBA. To have, yeah. that's to have above average defense. Jeff Walpott negotiated that. <laughs> been, they, they haven't had it for so long. The Walpott clause. I thought after the, uh, Yordonez, uh, Alfonso, who was a, uh, second, uh, and Olerud, whatever the, the, the oh, great. The best infield. Yeah. yeah no. I was, I was quite young then, so I don't remember everyone on the team, but. Olerud was at first base. Alfonso was. Usually, I mean, he was kind of everywhere, but usually at second, then Ordonez at shortstop, oh, and then Robin Ventura at third. Yeah. Why did I think Fonzie played third sometimes? I don't know why he, that's in my head. So they moved him. He later. did play, yeah. Oh, that's probably why. Yeah, I probably re- Natsui, right? I probably uh, remember. No, him. that was that was Reyes that they moved for Matsui. Oh yeah. Oh no, it moved Reyes to second. Yes. Yeah, no, I think that was after Fonzie left. Yes, I think he was gotcha. gone by 2002. 2002. Yeah, and he went to the Giants, I think. Yes, he went to the Giants. And then his back yes. immediately stopped working. Yeah, and actually it was like not the worst thing for the Mets because he got hurt. But Speaking but, yeah. of Fonzie, I'm, I'm a little tangent for a second. I'm, I'm disappointed that his son just kind of petered out in baseball. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> they drafted him the Mets like, Two years ago in like the 40th round or whatever, and obviously he didn't sign. And he just hasn't really progressed in his baseball career, which is unfortunate because at least as a high school kid, uh, I think he went to Bayside High School, he, he really hit a lot of homers. <laughs> and obviously his dad was a good coach to have, so. But oh well, that did not work out for him. But yeah, back to, uh, Mauricio, hopefully things work out for him and everything develops properly and he fills in and he becomes that white whale shortstop that just kind of does everything right. Yeah, he's 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 definitely someone who's exciting and I could see him being around if he keeps hitting and stuff like he could be around pretty soon. Not like this year, but. How old is he now? I can't remember off the top of my head. 20? He was he was born in 2001, so he will be 20 on April 4th. So, like, he's still young, but in two years, you could see him maybe knocking at the door here. Yeah, if he goes yeah. to double A to start this year, um, that would put him on track for then. Yeah. So it depends on what the Mets do. and It how- depends on how 2020 affects the way that they, you know, want to play things moving forward. Yeah. Twenty twenty sucks. Yeah. Well, speaking of things that suck, <laughs> let's <laughs> let's end with some of the of the Will Pondery of the Week. And I think that the Will Pondery of the Week goes to Mike Lindell, who is the CEO of MyPillow. He's still at it, he's claiming that he has definitive proof that the elections are rigged. 
machines were altered and the ballots are doctored and he's just ranting and raving. And it's very, very reminiscent of Fred and Jeff denying over and over and over and over that uh, the Mets' finances are not impacted by Bernie Madoff. <laughs> <laughs> but at least my pillow guy is kind of charismatic in his crazy way and, and entertaining because Fred and Jeff were basically the opposite. They're just as exciting as watching paint dry. Especially Fred. I, I Well, especially Jeff, too. Really, just the both of them. Yeah, I really hate Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Not much to like, so. <laughs> All right, well, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You could follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at said Met Season SZN. Subscribe to the podcast or your podcast from, rate and review it. And of course, thank you for listening. And hopefully we will have uh, another 100 episodes left in us. But until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.